We'll start with a little opinion poll. Which of the following people would you say are wise? The calm guru on the mountaintop? The graduate with a university degree or two? The successful business person? The popular preacher? Do you have any votes for the guru? The graduate? The business person? Got one for him. Uh, the preacher? Doesn't look good. Well, here's the Bible's answer to the question. The Bible's answer is that we cannot tell from those descriptions which one, if any, is truly wise. Sitting on a mountain looking wise doesn't necessarily make you truly wise, nor does earning a degree or running a business, even a very successful one, even being given the responsibility to teach in the church doesn't necessarily mean you are truly wise. We have been looking lately at the letter of James, and as we turn back to James this morning, he is going to show us how to recognize true wisdom in ourselves and in others. So turn with me to James chapter 3. If you're using a church Bible, that's page 1215 or in the larger print Bibles, 1882. James chapter 3, and we're going to read from chapter 3, verse 13, through to chapter 4, verse 3. James asks us the question in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. This is God's Word. 
it's addressed to God's people, the church. These words are for men, women, and children who trust in Jesus and belong to Jesus. James wants us to think about a question here in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Those of you who think you're wise and those of you who look up to other people you think are wise, let's make sure we understand what true wisdom is so we can recognize it in ourselves and in others. Because we all want to be wise, don't we? Nobody wants to be a fool. So let's make sure we understand true wisdom, not just so we can recognize it, but so we can work to see it grow and develop in our lives. And to help us, in the passage we just read, James tells us four truths about true wisdom. He tells us it is shown in actions, not just words. It produces humility in us, not pride. It sows peace around us, not war. And it prays, and prays for God's sake. So first, in the middle of verse 13, true wisdom is shown in actions, not just words. James says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. And if we have been following this letter through from the beginning, what James says here will be no surprise at all to us. Our words matter, of course they do. We saw last week in the first part of chapter 3 that our words are incredibly powerful for good or evil. Words matter, but words aren't everything. James made that point back in chapter 2 when he spoke about true faith. True faith produces actions. If we truly trust God and believe Him, that faith will produce acts of obedience to God. And James illustrated that with the examples of Abraham and Rahab from the Old Testament. They not only said they believed in God and trusted God, they showed their belief and trust by the way they lived. And so, James said in chapter 2, if our words about faith, faith aren't backed up by actions, if our claims to faith make no actual difference in the way we live, then we don't have true faith at all. No matter what great things we might say about our faith. And so when we come now to think about true wisdom in this passage, it is no shock to hear James say, true wisdom is not about how much you know or how much you sound like you know. It's not about how many courses you've taken or degrees you've earned. True wisdom is shown in actions not just words. It is not measured by the list of qualifications we have or the impressive things that we say. It's measured by looking at the lives we live. And at this point then, we might expect James to talk about what a wise life looks like. And he will get to that, but first, he points to what's going on inside the truly wise person. What's happening in the truly wise heart that then spills out in truly wise actions? James says true wisdom produces humility in us, not pride. 
In verse 13, the deeds of the truly wise person are deeds that are done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Why does true wisdom make us humble? Because the truly wise person sees herself or himself as they really are before God. And the truth is, whatever we have accomplished in life, whatever other people think of us, whatever awards and recognition other people might have given us, every single one of us stands before God as a weak, finite creature. Every single one of us is dependent on God for every breath we breathe. That's true whether we're the greatest scientist, the most persuasive preacher, or the fittest athlete. Every second of every day, our life only goes on because our Creator continues to give us breath. And whatever plans we might have for our future, the future is not truly in our hands. Our life will end the second our Creator decides it's going to end. And many people live in denial of that truth. But true wisdom begins when we acknowledge it. And acknowledging that truth is a very humbling experience. Later in this letter, James will say to us, You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And when James says that, he's not being morbid. He's simply facing up to reality for us human beings. Psalm 103 says, The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. If you want to be humbled, just take a walk through a graveyard. All of those people under your feet had plans. They had aspirations. They gained qualifications and awards. But they couldn't extend their lives one second longer than their Creator allowed. It's good to make plans and to set goals. We need to do that. True wisdom doesn't lead us to waste our time or fritter it away. But true wisdom does lead us to see who holds our time in his hands. It's humbling to realize how tentative and provisional our plans have to be. Because we are as weak and fragile as a flower of the field. Our life can end as easily as a flower blown over by the wind. And our Creator is Lord over both the flowers and us. It's humbling to recognize our weakness, and it is even more humbling to recognize our guilt. The Bible says every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No matter what we have achieved in life, we have not achieved 
righteousness in the eyes of the Holy One, the Almighty. He is glorious and we fall far short of that. We have rebelled against Him. We have lived like we were God. And that makes us guilty. It makes us deserving of eternal punishment. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Not only physical death, but eternal death. Our sin has earned us an eternity shut off from God's presence in hell. And again, many people live in denial of that truth. But true wisdom leads us to acknowledge it. And that is an incredibly humbling experience. To accept the truth that for all of our accomplishments, we deserve nothing but punishment from God. Judgment poured out on us because of our sin. It's humbling to realize, just as our every breath depends on God's supply, so our deliverance from eternal punishment depends purely on God's grace and mercy to us. We cannot earn His acceptance any more than we could fling a rock all the way to the sun. And please don't misunderstand, this is not about being negative. It's not about being joyless. It's about coming to terms with the truth. And in fact, when we do come to terms with these truths, it leads us to joy. Because our Creator is gracious and merciful. He loves to save and forgive those who come to Jesus. There's no misery or sadness in belonging to a God who loves us. A God who invites us to call Him our Father. A God who has good things in store for us. Things that are good beyond what we can even imagine. There's no sadness in coming to recognize our dependence on this great God. But it is a deeply humbling experience. It does strike a big blow to our high opinion of ourselves. And that means true wisdom is very, very different from what is often called wisdom in this world. That kind of wisdom is actually based on a high opinion of ourselves. It's about telling ourselves that we know better than others and we're more capable than others and we're mere, more deserving than others. That kind of wisdom gets angry and bitter when others don't agree with us or when they challenge us or when they seem to be getting more recognition than us or their lives seem to be going better than ours. The kind of wisdom that is most common in this world is about helping ourselves to get ahead and making sure others don't get in our way. Worldly wisdom tends to fuel our pride and our selfish ambition. And in verse 14, James says, If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, 
do not boast about it or deny the truth. In other words, don't boast that you are truly wise. Don't deny the truth that what's really driving you is actually pretty ugly. Don't try and dress up your bitterness and selfish ambition as true wisdom. Here's what you need to know about the kind of wisdom that produces bitterness and selfish ambition, James says in verse 15. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. James says if your wisdom makes you selfish and bitter, if it causes you to resent others who seem to be doing better than you, then it's false wisdom. In fact, it's demonic wisdom. It comes from hell, not from heaven. And that will be seen in the actions it produces. Instead of bringing order, it will bring disorder and every evil practice. So far, James has told us, true wisdom is shown in actions. And the actions of true wisdom come from a humble heart. Not a proud one. So then, what do the actions of true wisdom look like? James tells us, true wisdom sows peace around us, not war. Verse 17, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. When a person's heart is made humble by true wisdom, what kind of actions characterize that person's life? Actions that sow peace. Notice James doesn't say the truly wise person will always produce peace. That is going to depend on others and how they respond to your actions. But the truly wise man or woman will sow peace through their actions. They can't always produce peace in every situation, but their actions will encourage it and support it if it begins to appear. What do we mean by actions that sow peace then? Well, they're actions that are pure, verse 16, not polluted. The person who sows peace doesn't have a hidden agenda. Megan serves as the chair of governors at a local school. The governors are all voluntary. And sometimes when a new governor has been elected, it soon becomes clear they're not actually there to serve the school selflessly. They wanted the position to beef up their CV or to give their career a boost in some other way. And before long, their unwillingness to actually put themselves out for the school shows that their motive for becoming a governor wasn't exactly pure. But true wisdom is not like that. The actions it produces have no hidden self-serving agenda. There's a genuine love of peace. 
There's genuine consideration towards others. Not just a desire to use others. And James says true wisdom is submissive. Literally, it is open to being persuaded. So this is not about automatically believing what everybody tells you. It's not about being a walkover that always steps out of the way. There are times to stand firm and to say no. What James is talking about here is being approachable. Being ready to listen. Not always assuming that we know better than what somebody else might tell us. Not assuming that what they have to say isn't worth listening to. Earlier in this letter, James said that our love for God is shown in listening to him. And now it turns out our love for other people is shown in listening to them. True wisdom doesn't think it already knows everything. It doesn't think the person in front of us has nothing worthwhile to say or that their concerns aren't important. True wisdom has a humble heart, and that humble heart is approachable. And it's full of mercy. I think in verse 16, mercy is the good fruit that comes from true wisdom. It's mercy that's impartial, without favoritism, and without hypocrisy. It doesn't put on an act, it's sincere. And so you get the idea. That's the kind of thing we're talking about when we say that true wisdom sows peace. And as verse 17 says, sowing peace, being a peacemaker, produces a harvest of righteousness. Doesn't mean everyone is going to appreciate what you do or respond well to it. But in one way or another, at some time or another, there will be a good harvest from the peace you sow through your actions. But what if our wisdom isn't true wisdom? What if it's the demonic wisdom we heard about earlier? What does that kind of wisdom do? Well, James says it provokes war. Chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. And our first question here might be, are these people actually fighting and killing each other? In the church? Well, I think James is using those words to describe the arguments people are having. And we often speak about someone fighting for a better pay deal, for example. We speak about a football team battling to stay in the Premier League. So we're used to these words being used in non-literal ways. And I think it's most likely that's what James is doing here. But he chooses to use this strong language because he wants to make a strong point. If arguments and quarrels aren't dealt with, if these people continue provoking war because of the pride that comes from their false wisdom, the end result could well be physical violence and even killing. 
Now, of course, there is a time to fight for what's true and right. Jesus himself was willing to use strong words and strong actions. He was willing to turn over tables for the sake of his father's honor. But here, James is not talking about fighting for what's true and right. He's not talking about fighting for God's honor. Oh, it might be dressed up like that in the situations James has in mind. The people might claim they're fighting for the truth. But what James is talking about here is fighting that actually comes from a proud heart. A heart that always wants to come out on top and get its own way. Plenty of people who claim to be fighting for the truth are actually motivated by a selfish desire to be the top dog. So if you're someone who always seems to find themselves in an argument or a quarrel, if your relationships always seem to turn into battles, then sooner or later, don't you have to ask, is it really because I'm a valiant warrior for the truth? Or could it be because I'm not prepared to listen to anyone else? And I can't bear not to have the last word. I always have to get my own way, even in a discussion. True wisdom knows there is a time to stand our ground, yes. But true wisdom doesn't confuse standing for God's word withstanding for our own superiority. True wisdom knows that church life is not about every member asking, how can I get what I want? And what should everybody else be doing? Church life is about every member asking, how can I serve God's purposes in this fellowship rather than serving myself? When you and I ask that question and then act in response to it, we are demonstrating wisdom from heaven. Finally, in this passage, true wisdom prays and prays for God's sake. To those who are demonstrating false wisdom, which comes from a proud heart and does nothing but provoke war, to those men and women, James says in the middle of verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask God. A proud heart tends to produce prayerlessness. If we think we have all the answers and that we know best, what's left to pray about? So if prayer doesn't seem that important to you, that might be a sign you're operating with false wisdom. However, prayerlessness isn't the only things, the only way things can go with a proud heart. A proud heart can actually be committed to prayer. But if it is, it's going to misuse prayer. Look at verse 3. James says, When you ask... You do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. 
that's a misuse of prayer because prayer is not about getting God to do my will and serve my agenda and cater to my every desire. Yes, Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. But Jesus also told us what to ask for. Remember how he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. True prayer desires God's will and God's honor. So our prayers are going off course if they're all about our will and our honor. And look how Jesus taught us to pray about our own desires. Give us today our daily bread, what we need. Not bigger and better stuff so we can keep up with the neighbors. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. True prayer comes from a humble heart. A heart that knows its need for forgiveness and that's willing to forgive others. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. True prayer knows just how easily we can go off track. How vulnerable we are to the evil one. And that is a far cry from the kind of prayer described in James chapter 4, verse 3. Prayer that aims for God to be our servant boy, delivering our every desire. That kind of prayer doesn't flow out of true wisdom from heaven. True wisdom prays and prays for God's sake. James started by asking us a question. Who is wise and understanding among you? And now he's given us a way to answer that question. So even if you would never have described yourself as a wise person, you are invited to examine your life and see how wise it is. What do your prayers say about how wise you are? Do you pray? And if so, are your prayers an attempt to make God the servant of your own desires? Or do you pray for God's sake? With his honor in mind, asking for what he says is good, asking for his plans to move forward in your situation. Does your life tend to sow peace? Or does it tend to provoke war wherever you go? Are you approachable? Are you ready to hear others out? To properly listen? Are you ready to show them mercy? Or are you always on the verge of a fight with someone? because they're not getting with your program. And what does all that say about your heart? 
Do you have a heart that's ruled by pride and selfish ambition? Or has your heart begun to be humbled? As you've seen your true frailty before God, as you've seen your deep need for his grace and mercy. All those are hard, hard questions to ask ourselves. And none of us, if we're being honest, can say we have arrived at true wisdom. We might feel depressingly far away from it. But there is good news. The good news is you don't need a long gray beard to be wise. You don't need to have achieved achieved a degree or built a successful business to be wise. If we are Christians, if we have come to Jesus in repentance, if we have bowed to him as our Savior, then we are on the path of true wisdom. And we can learn how to be wise. Our selfish hearts can learn humility. Our words and actions can begin to provoke less war and sow more peace. Our prayers can begin to take on a new purpose. From seeking to get our will done to seeking for God's will to be done. None of us are as wise as we could be. But by God's great grace, we can grow in wisdom. And as we do, we will bless those around us. And we will reap a harvest of righteousness. So as we respond to God's word this morning, let's ask him to fill us with wisdom that comes from heaven. And let's work to put heavenly wisdom into action in our lives. And let's do that with hope and confidence because Christ our Savior is with us. He lives in us by his Holy Spirit. And because of that, we live with a hope that is so sure. Let's stand and rejoice in that truth. Let's turn it into praise. There is a hope so sure.
with eyes of faith will move ahead. The Spirit helps and strengthens us each day, confirming our eternal place. Our confidence is not our ability, nor in the earthly strength that we hold. But in His grace He takes the fragile things to show the greatness of His love. We will sing out, we will proclaim the wonder and joy of His endless grace. Drawing a song till Jesus comes again to take His people home. Living for this passing life We'll fix our eyes on what is sure There is a heavenly place prepared for us That will not ever fade or spoil So we will walk the path He has given us In full obedience and faith. For when the road is tough we will not lose heart, but keep on trusting in His name. We will sing out, we will proclaim the wonder and joy of His endless grace. Drawing a song till Jesus comes again to take His people home. We will sing out. We will proclaim the wonders and joy of His endless grace. Glorious on till Jesus comes again to take His people And so trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Amen.